Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Figuring out the truth is easy. Just read your Bible. Could it really be that simple? Join us for the message, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, as we explore what the Bible doesn't say. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, figuring out the truth is easy right? Just read your Bible? Could it really be that simple? Well, join us for our message later of God said it, I believe it, that settles it. This is part of our current sermon series, What the Bible Doesn't Say. This week's scripture will come from the book of Deuteronomy and Matthew in Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 12 through 14. Listen now to the word of God. You shall have a designated area outside the camp to which you shall go. With your utensils, you shall have a trowel. When you relieve yourself outside, you shall dig a hole with it and then cover up your excrement. Because the Lord, your God, travels along with your camp to save you and to hand over your enemies to you, therefore your camp must be holy." so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. <laughs> Keep a tidy house. So Matthew 5, various verses. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of unchastity causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
I may be wrong. <gasps> I know. You may never hear me say those words again. But I bet you've probably never heard a sermon based on that passage from Deuteronomy that Michael just read earlier. You might not have even been aware that this passage was in the Bible that specifies exactly how and where we are to relieve ourselves. Of course, since it's in the Bible, I'm assuming this is the procedure that you use every time, right? <laughs> you shall have a designated area outside the camp to which you shall go. With your utensils, you shall have a trowel. When you relieve yourself outside, you shall dig a hole with it and then cover up your excrement. So we all do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, while we may have never heard a sermon before on this particular passage, if you had gone to church in the 1880s, there's a very good chance you might have heard several sermons based on this very passage. Because believe it or not, some preachers use this passage to argue that indoor plumbing was an abomination to God. Because it was in the 1880s that indoor plumbing first began to be widespread. And this inevitably led to the question of whether church buildings should install indoor toilets. Before then, as most of you are aware, people would leave the building and then go to an outhouse to relieve themselves. And some of these preachers argued that having indoor toilets brought human excrement into the house of the Lord. And this could have dire consequences. As Deuteronomy went on to say, because the Lord your God travels along with your camp to save you and to hand over your enemies to you, therefore your camp must be holy, so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. So the preachers argued that the church building was the equivalent of the camp mentioned in the passage. If anything indecent was found in the camp, then God was going to abandon that camp, that is, the church, and hand it over to its enemies. Therefore, God was going to abandon any church that chose to install indoor toilets. And most of these preachers would actually extend this ban to any building, not just church buildings. Now, if you had asked these preachers why they felt so adamant about indoor toilets, they may have answered with something similar to the saying that we're going to explore today. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, unlike some of the other sayings that we've studied in this sermon series, what the Bible doesn't say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, doesn't really sound particularly biblical, and few would actually mistake it as coming from Scripture. It actually first appeared in the 1970s, uh, almost a century after all the potty preachers lost their battle against the indoor toilet. <laughs> It was back in the late 1970s when I first saw it on a bumper sticker. It also appeared at that time on t-shirts, posters, and plaques, and there was a Christian singing group, the Heritage Singers, that even came out uh, with a song about it in 1975. And like the other sayings we've studied, there is a sense in which God said it, I believe it, that settles it, is a true statement. Of course, as the creator and ruler of the universe... God holds all authority and is worthy of our highest allegiance. If God says something, of course, it is true and trustworthy. And we then respond with faith and belief. End of story. Well, except it's not really the end of the story. 
The problem is, is that any word coming from God, as perfect as that word may be, has to be mediated through the human brain. And the human brain is notoriously imperfect, biased, and prone to error. Just because God says it doesn't mean that we hear it, at least not with true clarity. God communicates us with in myriad ways. God creates, or excuse me, God communicates through uh, natural creation, through history, through the prophets, through the nation of Israel, through the church, through the scriptures. And God's highest expression is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. As the book of Hebrews opens, long ago God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. But all of these communications come through very fallible human beings. Human beings perceived them, human beings interpreted them, and sometimes... Human beings took the time to actually write them down. So the problem with the saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, is what the vast majority of people really mean when they say it. What they really mean is that the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. In fact, to expand on that, what they really, really mean is this. My interpretation of the Bible has the final word, and I will believe my own interpretation, no matter what contradictory evidence I may encounter. No matter what we may garner through the broader message of Scripture, through the addition of the church, the use of reason, or human experience, since I have decided that this is the correct interpretation of Scripture, that settles it. On the surface... God said it, I believe it, that settles it, sounds like a humble acquiescence to divine authority. But in reality, it's actually a rather arrogant claim to human inerrancy. And it also serves to shut down any further conversation or consideration of alternative interpretations. And instead, it reinforces a very wooden and literal interpretation of Scripture. And it rejects outright any evidence that might be brought to bear on whatever the subject is in question. So in addition, this wooden and literal interpretation of Scripture, it's not really true to Scripture itself as it was interpreted, not only as it was interpreted by the early church, but also as it was interpreted by Jesus himself. Our gospel passage, which comes from the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew, these are Jesus' very words, and in this sermon, Jesus quotes from Scripture, but in each case, he adds, he adds a new twist. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Considering what I said to some fellow drivers this morning as I was driving, <laughs> I may, in fact, right now be liable to the hell of fire. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
You've heard, it said, uh, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In each case, Jesus is interpreting scripture and getting beyond its literal meaning. And when Jesus reinterprets, he always reinterprets on the side of mercy and compassion and love. He, least of all, would say in regard to the Bible, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. So following Jesus' example, the early church did not practice, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We see this especially in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. And in this chapter, we find an account of the very first church council uh, that was ever held, and it was held in Jerusalem. In order to open up the church so that the good news of Christ could be shared with the Gentiles, the council decided to not require the Gentiles to first convert to Judaism before they could be considered Christians. And this was so even though the Hebrew scriptures were clear that a Gentile man or any man had to be circumcised to be considered a legitimate member of God's people. When Jesus' disciples were accused of violating the Sabbath, he defended them by saying, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. And likewise, we could say, the Bible was created for us. We, humankind, was not created for the Bible. And when we privilege our interpretation of the Bible as the equivalent of God's absolute word, then I think we turn Scripture into something that is potentially harmful to others and even to ourselves. We can see from history how the attitude behind the saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, has been used to harm others. Very obvious example, prior to the Civil War, Southerners justified slavery by pointing to Bible passages that seemed to condone the practice while ignoring the larger message of love and freedom that is found throughout the scripture. And to this day, those who offer some form of God said it, I believe it, that settles it, to prohibit women from church leadership, pointing to a few verses in the Bible, but instead of looking at the larger message of scripture. This was illustrated just this last few weeks, because when we posted the promo video for this very sermon series, we received several comments online indicating that I obviously didn't know anything about the Bible, either what the Bible said or what the Bible did not say, because if I really knew the Bible, I would know that women were supposed to keep silent in the church. As I read these comments, I thought to myself, if they're this upset that I'm a woman preacher, they're going to get really upset because I find out I'm gay. Instead, the most controversial issue in the church today, or excuse me, indeed, the most controversial issue in the church today is the full inclusion of LGBTQ persons. And we are yet at an, another crossroad of history where a few verses are being allowed to disrupt the larger meaning of Scripture. And it's based on this attitude of God said it, I believe it, that settles it. So, in what sense is the Bible the words of God? And, and what does it mean to say that Scripture is inspired? 
Well, the literal meaning of the word inspired is to be God-breathed. And the idea is that God's breath or God's spirit is in a way embedded in the text of the scripture. What being inspired doesn't mean is that the original authors of the Bible were just essentially court stenographers writing down exactly each and every word God told them to write. Instead, Scripture is a co-creation between human beings and the Holy Spirit. It is both God and God's people coming together in covenant relationship with each other. And as the Spirit worked in and through God's people and was present in the history of God's people. The people then in return did their best to write an account of that relationship for the benefit of future generations. We sometimes say that the Bible is the word of God, but I think it's really Jesus Christ who is the ultimate word of God. And kind of remember how the whole gospel of John starts out. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Jesus was God's definitive word or definitive expression. Now, the Bible is the book that talks about the word. And this word meets us when we read and study scripture. But ultimately, the word of God is that living voice of God that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It it may be way more accurate to say that the Bible contains the word of God, or that the Bible is a conduit for the word of God, as opposed to actually being the word of God. In fact, the Bible itself never refers to scripture as the word of God or the word of the Lord. In the Bible, uh, the word of God is identified as either Jesus... Or the phrase, this is the word the Lord, refers to a specific instant of revelation experienced by one of the biblical prophets. If then we want to be open and aware of what God says in order that we can believe it, then we need to look at all things through the lens of Jesus Christ. Whenever anyone claims to know what God says, my advice is to test the words by looking at them through the lens of Jesus Are these words consistent with what we know of Jesus' teaching? Do these words live up to the example that Jesus set by his very own life? By adopting a a more open way of interpreting the Bible, do we risk being guilty of just picking and choosing what it is that we want to believe? Which is what often progressive Christians are accused of. And I would say, yeah, yes, we do run that risk because we're human beings. We can let our own biases blind us to what God may be trying to communicate to us through the Bible. But in reality, all of us, in essence, pick and choose what parts of Scripture to emphasize. I think what is really important is we need to be vigorously honest that we do this and deeply aware of how we do this And to realize that our emphases and our interpretations are not the equivalent of the final word of God. For me, it's the the Gospels, and particularly the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that become the yardstick by which I measure the interpretation of all Scripture. 
And it is through the lens of the life and the teachings of Jesus that I interpret the Bible. Jesus is how I pick and choose. Now this underlines the importance of reading Scripture and discerning the Word of God in community. Comparing our perceptions and learning from one another keeps us from venturing into dangerous or harmful interpretations. Using the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which I've often preached about, the use of scripture as well as tradition and reason and human experience to discern truth serves this same purpose. One of my favorite sitcoms of all time uh, from the 1980s was Designing Women. And I remember an episode... uh, well, first, one of the things I so appreciated by this, this, this particular show is that they were not afraid to seriously tackle religious issues, which is very unusual in a sitcom. In one episode, Charlene is upset because she's gone to a local church conference where her own pastor voted against the conviction that women could be preachers and ordained ministers. And through this episode, she and her pastor have several discussions. And these discussions, I have never heard so many Bible verses quoted in a sitcom ever before or since. (laughs) And in their final encounter, Charlene's pastor says that God has spoken in the Bible that women cannot be ministers and we must not question God's wisdom. But she simply replies, I'm not questioning God's wisdom. I'm questioning yours. We should never confuse our understanding and interpretation of the Bible with God's word. The word of God and our interpretation of the word of God are not the same thing. And there's another saying that I heard in seminary that I like quite a bit. We don't take the Bible literally. We take it seriously. In the end, the Bible contains many voices and viewpoints And I will say that the Bible does, in fact, contradict itself. And it contradicts itself because it recognizes and reflects the contradictions of life. But as I've also said before, one thing that all biblical scholars agree on, from the most fundamentalist conservative to the most progressive liberal, however you interpret it, the Bible is holy ground. Wrestle with its content, and I promise you, you will meet God there. In preparing for this sermon, I actually Googled, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And what came up was this wonderful variation of this saying. I might even say a Methodist version of this saying. And if Kim, if you could show the slide. God said it. I interpret it to the best of my ability keeping in mind the limitations and filters imposed by my own worldview, and that doesn't entirely settle it. But it does provide a trustworthy, if incomplete, platform on which to base my values and decisions. I'd like to have that on a t-shirt. Amen. And now, receive this benediction. Leave in peace trusting in God to vouchsafe our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. 
Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next week, we conclude our sermon series, What the Bible Doesn't Say, with the message, Hate the Sin, Love the Sinner. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.